Hi, welcome to our podcast. To learn more about Liverpool One Church, join us live, give financially and to get involved, head to liverpoolonechurch.com. We believe God wants to do great things in and through your life today. Enjoy this message. Why don't we just do this? Why don't we kick off and start and pray? Heavenly Father, we, um, Lord God, we need You today by Your Holy Spirit to to speak to our hearts, to speak to our soul. Lord, we've all had different weeks and different things go on in our families and in our workplaces and the context of our life for some of them, for some of us coming into church today are, are complex. But God, right now we we right at the feet of Jesus, we lay all that down and we say, God, for the next, for the next hour, less than an hour, God, we're so fixed and focused on you. So Holy Spirit, would you speak to our hearts today? Would you just speak to the depths of our souls? Would you just make it possible so that when we leave church today, that we wouldn't be walking out knowing that we've just heard another talk or another preach or another message, that there'd be no cajoling, there'd be no emotional manipulation, but God, what there would be is this deep-rooted sense of knowing and feeling like we've just heard from you. And we ask this all in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Why don't you go ahead and take your seats? Alrighty then. So we are currently in a series called Family Matters. And the reason why we're in a series called Family Matters is because we believe that the family really does matter. And we're absolutely convinced that um, there's no more important... I'm all tangled up. Hold on one sec. In fact, it can stay in there. Sorry, my bad. Um, We really believe that the family is super important. I'm convinced that God is all over families. But actually what I know is true in my life, and I'm sure it's the same in your life too, and that's that there are many different components of a family unit that actually need to be in play and working effectively in order for you to have a healthy, balanced family life. And I know for sure that that ain't easy, right? And I think that we can all agree that doing family sometimes can bring us some of the biggest and most significant challenges. And over recent weeks, we've been talking about marriage. We've been talking about communication. And today that I want to start to speak into the life of Liverpool One Church about one particular topic that really does have the ability to make or break your marriage and make or break your family. I want to talk to you about the one thing that actually brings you and I the most amount of stress and tension. It's the one thing that often has the opportunity to completely steal your peace. And it's the one thing that many people would hope and wish that the church would stay silent on this. But that's not what I'm going to choose to do at all as we dig deep into the Scriptures today. And we will be digging deep. We're going to go through a lot of Scripture today as we talk about what God's financial plan is for your life. I want to talk to you about your money. And I understand that everyone's at the point now where you're reaching into your phone and you're about to get on Facebook and Instagram and, you know, hashtag another church talking about money. But hey, I don't care about that anymore. And the reason why is the more I've searched through the Scriptures, what I have found is that there is so much in there that speaks on the topic of money that, and I think that there is a reason why it's in there. So what I want to try and do today is give you a greater degree of peace in your family unit and in your family life by looking at and focusing on this subject of money. 
I want to start off by taking you to the New Testament. We're going to go to 1 Timothy 6, verses 9 through to 10. And this is what it's, this is going to maybe become the framework of everything that we're going to talk about today. But it says that those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Verse 10, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people are eager for money. Now that that phrase there, some people are eager for money, it means that they are consumed by money, like they are thinking about it all the time. They're, they're always planning. They're always scheming. How can I get more money? I need a better job. I'm going to apply for this. And then you get that. And now you're applying for that. And I'm not against that all going up the promotional ladder. I'm not against that all about changing a job. But what I am against is being so eager for money that it knocks you off track in life. And this is really what the author's trying to convey to us here. He's saying that you just don't stop thinking about money. And the way that you think about money is the wrong way. It goes on to say, some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. In other words, what we find out from this passage of scripture here is that money isn't the problem, but the love of money causes people grief. In fact, the love of money causes people to live with less peace in their life, with more tension and with more anxiety. In fact, the scripture tells us that money is the reason why many people choose to walk away and wander from even their Christian faith. How crazy is that. So I guess that my goal today is to try and ungrief you a little bit in the area of money and finances. My goal today is to try and inject some wisdom into your financial life, into the way in which you operate and handle your money so that it injects God's peace into your family units as we learn from what the scriptures have to teach us. You know, my dad died quite young and um, I've never really had anybody speak into my life financially. And I think that I've been through a season of feeling somewhat aggrieved by that. I'm devastated that 18, I didn't know what an APR rate was. I didn't know what interest was. I didn't even know what compound interest was. I thought that an overdraft was a gift from the bank. I didn't realize that you actually had to pay it back. I thought that credit cards was just the normal way of doing life because that's what everybody did. And for me, one big key and uh, significant turning point in my life was when my dad died. He... um, He passed away without having anything to his name. Like he had no property, he didn't own a house, he didn't have anything, his savings. He was a hard worker though, and he had worked hard his entire life. And he literally died and left nothing behind. And I assure you of this, my problem is not with not receiving an inheritance. The reason why I'm sharing this story with you is because this became like a light bulb moment for me in my life. Because I can remember 
almost having to pay along with my brothers after we'd sold the one thing he did have, which was a van, to cover part of the cost for his funeral. It made me draw a line in the sand and say, that's not how I'm ever going to run my household. And having seen my dad die and leave absolutely nothing behind, it's the one thing that made me adamant that I did not want to be that guy or that man or that father for my three children. In fact, even the writer of Proverbs in chapter 13 says that it's a good thing that a man leave behind an inheritance. And it was that moment in time for me that made me say, you know what? I'm not going to mess around with money anymore. I'm going to get out of debt. I'm going to sell a car. We're going to invest. We're going to get on a budget. And we're going to try and run our finances in our family in a way that was just better. And that made me read a whole bunch of books. And it made me dig deep into the scriptures to really ask the question, God, is there a financial plan for my life? Because if there is, I want to know what that is. Now, even today, if you were to speak to any one of my three kids, I have always taught them these two principles that I learned in that season. And that is, if you want a family that's going to be strong financially, these two things need to be in play. Perhaps sometimes they're a little bit controversial. Some people might want to contest them, write about them, blog about them. But these two things from a scriptural vantage point are the most beneficial things that you can add into your family's finances. And the the first thing I teach my kids now is this. Whenever you earn money, the first thing that you do is you take the first 10% of that which you have earned and you give it to God. The very first thing that you do is you honour God with your finances. The Bible, the Scriptures call it a tithe. But the reason why we honour God first before we do any other thing is it's not because it's about the money or the amount concerned. What it's about, it's a demonstration to God that says, before I do anything else, I'm honouring you first. And I teach them all that. And then the second thing that I've always taught them to do is after you've honoured God with 10%, then I want you to get into the habit of saving some money. A great figure would be round about 10%. But I promise you boys, and I've said this to them all, whether they choose to adopt this and carry this on into adulthood really is down on them now. But up to the age of 18, I'm teaching them, I want you to have some kind of an emergency fund. I want you to be able to save some money because the truth is what I've learned about money is this, when you handle it right, when you handle it God's way, it brings you peace. When you handle money according to the patterns that are clearly set in Scripture, it alleviates the tension in your life. Here's the question. How much more stress-free would some of your relationships be if you never had a monetary concern? Like when something broke on the car, it didn't materialize into a great big row about how you're going to fix that. Like how much easier would that be? Well, what I have learned is when you handle money right, it brings you peace. And there is nothing, Liverpool One Church, whether you're in the room or joining us online, listen to me on this. There is nothing more that I want for each and every one of you than to experience a sense of financial freedom and financial peace that comes by way of following God's financial plan for your life. I want you to have peace more than I want anything from you. I can assure you of that. For every um, one in every 10 verses in the New Testament, 
are typically about money and possessions. In fact, Jesus talked twice as much, uh, way more about money and possessions than he ever did about heaven and hell. In fact, there are 38 parables that are contained across the four gospels and 16 of those parables, it's like, you know, almost half are talking about money more than they do about any other thing. In fact, randomly, there are 500 verses approximately in all the Bible that talk about faith. And yet there are over 2000 verses that talk about money and how you handle your possessions. And I just wonder, why is that? Like, why is there so much of a great, big, almost heavy focus on money and possessions, even when Jesus was teaching? Why is that? Why is there more verses on money than any other thing? Well, I'm going to tell you, that's because money is spiritual. There is a spiritual component of money that I want to talk to you about today. I want to jump to Matthew 6, verse 21. It tells us this, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There is nothing that God wants more than your heart. And even Jesus is acknowledging here that actually, if you want to see and find out where someone's heart is or where someone's heart is, then have a look at where their treasure is. Have a look at where their finances go. Have a look at what they do with their money. Have a look at what they buy and purchase. Because God knew if he was going to have your heart, then he understood that where your treasure is, there your heart goes also. And you see this all through Scripture. In fact, in Luke chapter 3, in the time when John the Baptist... was preparing the the time for which Jesus was going to conduct his ministry on the earth. John the Baptist's message was literally, what I want you guys to do is all repent and turn your life around. And then I want you to go around and fix all of the mistakes that you've made in your past. Like I want you to go and repay everybody that you've robbed from. I want you to be a nicer person. I don't want you to be as cruel anymore. And he started addressing all of those issues. We could talk about the rich young ruler whom Jesus had a conversation with and he ended up going away sad when Jesus said to him, what I want you to do is sell all of your possessions and because he was rich, sell all of your possessions and give them away to the poor and because he was rich, it tells us that he went away sad. In other words, salvation did not come to his household. And yet when you contrast the rich young ruler to the story that we find in Luke 19, which is all about the tax collector Zacchaeus, what we find is that Jesus ended up having dinner at Zacchaeus's house. And Zacchaeus, knowing of the wrong that he'd done with all of his money and the way in which he was really being cruel to people, he made a decision on that day that he was going to repay everybody that he'd stolen money from. And the scriptures tell us that salvation came to his house. It did not come to the rich young ruler's house, but it did come to Zacchaeus' house. So why is all of this going on? What is the connection with money and spirituality? Well, there is a spiritual element of money. There is a spiritual element of money. And I want us to talk about that today. I want us to go to Luke chapter 16, verse 13. And this is Jesus speaking. He says this, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. 
Now, this is where it has the potential to get a little bit tricky. So I'm going to try and do my utmost and my absolute best to bring a little bit of clarity to what this scripture is actually telling us. And I particularly want to hone in on that last element that says, you cannot serve both God and money. Now, that word money has been interjected into our scriptures relatively recently. But if you look at some older translations of the Bible, for example, like the King James, it doesn't use the word money. It says you cannot serve both God and mammon. Mammon, though, is not an English word. And the reason why mammon became the original word that was translated into our English Bibles is simply because it's something that theologians would tend to call a transliteration. And that's when there's a word in its original form that doesn't really make a whole load of sense in an English form, so we kind of make one up. And the word that we made up, the word that we transliterated into our original English Bibles was the word mammon. But that wasn't the word in its original form. In its original form, it was actually the word Mammonus or mammonus. I'm not too sure how you pronounce it. But what you've got to know about that word that originally read, you cannot serve both God and mammonus, is that mammonus was actually the Syrian god of riches. It was the Syrian god of money that came out of Babylon that brought so much confusion. Now, what Jesus is actually saying here is in relation to the way in which we as followers of Jesus, and that really is the only question that you you've got to figure out today as to whether or not you're going to apply any of these principles to your life or not is an answer to that question. Are you a follower of Jesus? Because if you are a follower of Jesus, Jesus would be saying to us, you cannot serve both God and also the Syrian God of riches, Mammonus. You you can't do that. And it's funny, actually, because if you've ever felt, encountered or experienced like your life is full of so much financial confusion and complexities. I mean, just maybe, maybe you're handling your money the wrong way. Maybe you're doing the very thing that Jesus was advising us not to do. Maybe there's God's way and there's another way. And if everything feels so stuck, so broken, so confusing for you, maybe it's just because you're not following God's way on this. So in your life, if you've ever felt like, man, I'm so confused today, I want to try and help you unpack some of that. But I do want to present to you this idea that maybe, like Jesus said, maybe we're just not doing things God's way. So what I want us to do is I want us today to try and get some really clear perspective on what the scriptures teach about the way in which we handle our finances in our family units. But before we do that, I want to kind of recognize these top five financial management principles um, that are out there that I would say the world presents to us. Now, when I'm talking about the world, that seems like a strange phrase. What I'm actually referring to really is just the the non-Christian perspective. How However, there is some fantastic advice in these top five laws of financial management that the world will even teach on. Many financial teachers and educators will implement and deploy these principles and they will teach these. These will be the things that they will educate people that are struggling financially on. And some of these are really fantastic things. Many of these things you'll have heard about before. 
The first law of good financial management and practice, according to what the world would say, is all about earnings. Like, you know, you should try to earn as much money as you possibly can. You should make your life all about the work, 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 work. Like, you should go for promotion. You should try and earn as much money as you possibly can. And I'm not against earning money. I'm not against going for better things. But that's really the number one law of financial management that the world will teach, which is everything starts about you and about how much money you can earn. The next thing, the next law would all be about spending. And it would kind of say, you know, look, you've got to focus on your earnings. But what you also need to be mindful of is getting control of your spending. Like if you're spending more than you're earning, then you're heading for a train crash. There's going to be problems. You're going to struggle. There's going to be tension. There's going to be pressure. So even more than spending your money on like finer things, the first thing that people will encourage you to do is, well, get out of debt. And one of the best ways to do that is employing this tactic called the debt snowball. Now, the debt snowball is when you look at, and you might have five, six, you might have 10 areas of debt. It might be a car loan. It might be multiple credit cards. It might be a personal loan. But what the debt snowball does is you just take the debt that you have outstanding that is the smallest amount, almost ignoring all of the interest rates. And there's a psychological reason why you've got to do that. But take the smallest debt that you have and now start attacking it. And then the idea is, is that once you've aggressively and tenaciously attacked and dealt with that very first small debt, you take all of the money that you were previously using to service that small debt, and then you add it to the next pot of debt. And they would say, you've got to get a grip on spending. You've also got to get a grip on Um, saving. In other words, have an emergency fund. Just have a pot of money so that if the washing machine breaks and the clutch goes on the car, you've got a way to fix that problem so that you don't end up putting it on a credit card or borrowing more money from a family member or from a loan shark or anything like that. The fourth law in financial management would all be about investing. And this is where things get fun, but in all honesty, most people don't get here. And the main reason why most people never invest in life is that as their earnings go up, rather than investing for their future, they upgrade their current life. So rather than maybe looking to put some more money aside and investing in something that might earn them a greater return right now, what they want to do, it's the new couch, it's the new thing, it's the new da-da-da-da-da, you get to fill in the blank. And then the fifth law of financial management that the world will teach about is in the area of giving, which I guess that if you're not a follower of Jesus, um, you might not have a strong opinion on this. But here's an interesting fact for you, that the average giving to charity in 2022 was just £27. And you would think that it actually gets significantly better in church circles. But actually, the National Stewardship Committee found that in 2022, that only 3% of Christians gave away any of their finances to charity. Sorry, not 3% of Christians. The Christians that gave finances away to charity gave on average 3% or less of their income away. The reason why I want to talk to you first and foremost about what the world says is that just so that you're going to get a balanced approach in everything that I'm going to talk about today. That's the world's view. But what I want to do now is really hone in on and gain clarity from the scriptures, God's holy word, and say, well, God, what is it that you would want us to do differently? How would you have us approach our money and our finances today? 
Let's go to Haggai chapter 1, verse 5 through to 7. And this is what the writer says. Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. In other words, he's saying, hey, look, would you just open your heart for a moment and just ask yourself this question? Would you just be open to the idea of, are you doing things the right way? This is what the writer is encouraging us to do. Verse six, he says that you have planted much, but harvested little. (laughs) Does this resonate with anybody in the room? Does some of you feel like, man, I'm working every hour that God gives me, but for some reason, it just seems to you and feels to you like no matter what you do, you can't get your household income on track. You can't seem to save. You can't seem to get the thing. It just feels like you're working so much, but harvesting very little. It goes on to say, you eat but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages, but only to put them in a purse with holes in it. And for some of us, this is the theme of our lives. It feels like it doesn't matter how much we earn. It's like we're putting our money into a purse that has a hole in it because we keep losing what we have. Verse seven, and this is where God goes on to say something twice. So whenever he says something twice, this is really the moment that you've got to pause that you've got to really stand up straight and listen and say, what is it that you're wanting to convey to us? And he says in verse seven, this is what the Lord Almighty says, give careful thought to your ways. And I guess that maybe what I'm trying to do today is ask you to give careful thought to your ways. I'm trying to tease you into asking that question. I'm trying to tease you into the next season of your financial life by getting you to ask this question, what would it look like for you and your family if you were to implement God's plan and God's strategy that we're about to explore together in the time that we've got left? Because what I wanna do is I wanna now take what the world would say about how to handle finances and now I wanna tackle it and approach it from a scriptural point of view. So this is absolutely the time to get your notes out, to make notes, to get the iPhone out, like just type away. Now I want us to dig deep into what the word of God says to us if you say you follow Jesus. Now, if you don't follow Jesus, you can do whatever you want. And truthfully, even being a part of this church, you can still follow Jesus. And to a certain extent, you can still do whatever you want, but I just wouldn't recommend it. I would say, if you follow Jesus, then you've got to be not a hearer of the word of God, but a doer of the word of God. So I want us to look at this together. So maybe rather than just saying that earning is the first law of good financial management and planning, what I would want to say about earning is it should always be God's ways more than your wage. You see, the truth is, is that you can go and earn as much money as you want and you can dream and desire in your heart about how you can make more money. But I know this, I've had so many people that I've given counsel to, so many people that I have seen leave and move and do a different thing in the pursuit of money. I'm gonna relocate my family to this other part where they've got no friends, no church, no sense of community and they end up earning all the money and yet they live life miserable and unhappy. Why is that? It's because God's ways counts more than your wage. God's ways counts more than your wage. Like what is the reason that God has put you on the planet for? Because if you can understand that for your life, I promise you, you're never once gonna be motivated by any kind of financial means. Because what's gonna be more compelling to you is not your wage, it's God's ways. It's his calling. It's the question, God, what do you want me to do on the 
planet whilst I've still got breath in my lungs? What is it that you would have me do? Why? Because we don't just need money to live on. We need something to live for. And the absolute truth is, and we can give testimony to this, when we started this church, we quit our jobs, we cashed in our life savings, we took a tiny, tiny fraction of a wage that didn't even come close to covering our mortgage, let alone any other part of our household utility bills. And yet, honestly, I look back on that season of our life and was it tough? Was it hard? Was it difficult? Absolutely, yes. But I'll tell you what, I wouldn't change it for the world. Why? Because I felt like I was in the bullseye of God's way and God's will and God's call for my life. So what I would always want to encourage you to do is that when you look at your wage, always say first, God, more than an increase in wage, I want to pursue your ways. And that doesn't necessarily, by the way, mean that you've all got to jump into ministry. I mean, look at this, Acts verse 20. Verse 24, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given to me. And by the way, that doesn't all mean ministry because he goes on to say that for him, the task of testifying the good news of God's grace was the task that the Lord Jesus had given to him. But really, what's the task that God's given you to do? Because whatever it is you feel called to do, you should pursue his way far more than you pursue an increase to your wage. The second thing that the world will teach about is spending. Rather than just simply talking about spending, I want to approach this and say, I think there's another way, and it's about God's way versus wealth and riches. You see, the truth is, is that there are many people that will live life with many riches and much wealth, and yet they still would say about their life that they live life incredibly unhappy. Most people believe that if they had more, then they would worry less. And yet, statistically, that's completely untrue. Check out what Luke says in Luke chapter 12, verse 15. He says, beware, don't always be wishing for what you do not have for real life and real living are not related to how rich you are. Do you know what he's talking about here? He's talking about contentment. When it comes to spending, he's saying, you know what, it doesn't actually matter if you don't drive the best car, have the biggest TV, do the best holidays, or if your kids don't do horse riding and jet skiing and all the other fancy things, it really doesn't matter because contentment is not found in the things that you buy and the things that you spend your money on. Contentment is an issue of the heart. We've just come back from um, Kenya and in the slums of Nairobi, we took this photograph. It's a picture of um, our new friend who is wearing a scout uniform and a pair of headphones that don't even have a cable to it. And um, his glasses were broken with all of his friends. And he is literally in the middle of the Mahathi Valley slum and the place you and I would not be, we would struggle to even believe that a place such as this valley even exists. Because all of that that you can see behind, that is, that is just rubbish and excrement and waste. I mean, it is disgusting. And you see just at the very back right-hand corner, that's actually our friend's house. That's where he has been brought up and he's lived. And this is the observation that I would want to make about being there recently. These kids were so incredibly happy and yet they had nothing. When you went into their homes, their homes were so empty and yet their hearts were so incredibly full. I mean, they are smiling, they are high-fiving, they want to hug, hold, talk life. They are incredibly happy and it just makes me wonder, 
Maybe contentment doesn't come from materialistic things and just spending money all the time. And I'm not against making money. I'm not against you earning money. I'm just against you making money your goal. The third thing that I want to talk about is saving. And I would say it's God's way versus your way. Now, there's nothing wrong with saving. In fact, I would encourage it. I would implore you, save an emergency fund. Make sure that you've got a bank account that you don't dip into every time you go to Starbucks or you want a weekend away, but have an emergency fund so that when the washer breaks, you can fix it and you're not gonna be paying any interest on it. But there is a danger with savings that I've never really spoken into before. And that's that sometimes what we can do with our savings is that we can almost become more independent and less dependent on God, because what we think that we can do is actually almost sustain our life by having more. We think that we can accumulate our way to security. In other words, by having a great big savings account, it's going to enable me to fix any problems that come in my life. Well, it's just not true. In fact, check out what the writer of Proverbs 18 says. He says that the wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it a wall too high to scale. Do you know what he's saying there? That wealthy people, and rich people that solely save money and just keep it all for themselves. He's saying they're doing it because they think that their money is like a high, strong, solid wall that no enemy would ever be able to get over. And I'm not being funny, but life is just not like that. I mean, if that were ever to be true, my question to you would be, well, how big a pot do you need to make that big wall? Chances are the answer would be more than you have now. And I think that wherever you end up to in life, that's the place where you'll end up to also. You know, it's like the writer of Proverbs verse 30. We're not going to go there, but he says this in his prayer life. He says, God, give me neither poverty nor riches, but just give me my daily bread because otherwise I think I might disown you. And I think that that's so true. It's like, God, I I want you to bless my life, but don't give me too much so that I forget that you're real and that I forget that I need you and I forget that I need to lean on you because God's way is dependence on him. Your way is reliance on you. The fourth thing that we're going to touch on briefly is investing. And I think this is more about stewardship versus ownership. And I think that if you do reach a place in life where you're ready to invest, then invest in the long term, but know that you're just a steward of all that you have. And I would encourage you to invest with the owner's mindset in mind. Invest knowing that actually your finances can do some serious good for the kingdom of God when you understand that actually that which God has given to you, you're just a steward for it. In fact, Matthew 6 tells us this, do not store up treasure for yourselves on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal in other words if you're going to invest then put your resources in places where things of this world can't simply eat away at them put it into something that's going to last forever and then the fifth and final thing that I want to speak to you about in this area of financial, um, uh, in the area of financials for your family that will just bring you more peace, is over the area of giving. And I've just termed this generosity versus misery. You know, a generous person is someone that lets go, but a miser is somebody that holds on to everything. If there's anything that you know about any misers that you might have ever bummed into is that you know that misers tend to live life in misery. 
And actually, I think that one of the best ways to ensure that misery stays in the depths of your soul is by holding on to everything that you have. And actually, what you'll find is that being generous is something that brings you happiness and it brings you peace. I want us to look at what Acts verse 20 says, because some of you might be here today thinking, well, I've got nothing to give. I've got nothing to give. Well, Acts 20 tells us that the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And the truth is, you might even be in here today thinking, I have absolutely nothing. Well, I'll tell you what you do have. You've got a smile. You can give that away to someone. You've got a hand that you can shake the hands of someone. Maybe you've got words that you can encourage someone. There's always a way for you to strive to be generous towards those that are around you. But if we're really serious about living according to God's financial plan, then you should live according to what the Scriptures teach, not what the world teaches, but what the Scriptures teach. And what you need to do by doing that is avoid robbing from God that which is His. And this is where it gets really difficult and really quiet in the room. But if you want to follow God's financial plan, if you are a follower of Jesus, then you need to stop robbing God of what is already His. Let me show you why. In Malachi chapter three, it says this, will a man rob God? In other words, think of this more so in line of, will a man rob God of an opportunity to bless you? Will a man rob God of an opportunity to bring you peace, to bless you? Yet you have robbed me, well, of what? Of many opportunities to bless you. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? I think we do this all the time. God, what have I withheld from you? Like, what have I ever stopped uh, offering up to you? And then he responds to us and says, well, in tithes and offerings. So what is a tithe? If a tithe is something that we can rob from God, an opportunity to bless our life, well, what is a tithe? A tithe is when you earn and you take the first 10% and you offer it up to God. Before you pay the mortgage, before you pay the sky bill, before you pay the electricity guy, before you pay the petrol in the car, you earn your money and you take the first 10% and you offer it to God and you say, God, with this first tenth of my increase, I'm bringing this to you because I'm demonstrating that I trust you more than any other thing or any other person. And what does that look like? Well, what it means is that 10%, if you earn 1,500 pounds a month, 10% of that is 150 pounds. A lot of people in church circles, sometimes even in our church circles, they say, well, I earn 1,500 pounds a month, so I'm gonna give 100 pounds. No, no, that's not a tithe. I mean, you can give that, but don't give that thinking, believing or knowing or trusting that that's a tithe because it's not. What a tithe is, is when you take the first 10% and you offer that up to God. So instead of getting angry with God about all of the ways in which you think he's not blessing your life, the first place I would encourage you to look at and say, well, am I honouring him financially? So a tithe is one-tenth and it's the first tenth. It's not, you know, you earn 40,000 a year and then you tip God with 50 quid a month. It, it, it's not that. And let me also tell you that it's not charitable giving to the donkey sanctuary or to the animal shelter, even though some of those are really great things. When you offer up a tithe, the scriptures actually goes on to teach us and tell us that we bring it into the storehouse, which is really a representation, a modern day representation of the local church. It's where we go, hey God, this is the money that I'm gonna give to you so you can expand your kingdom. And let me tell you, it's not because God's short of money. It's not like they're running out of gold for 
the pavements in heaven. It's not about that. What's it really about? Remember that first scripture that we spoke about where it says that your treasure goes where your heart is? It's because it's your way of making sure that God has your heart. Verse nine, it says that you are cursed as a result of not giving the tithe. You're cursed with a curse instead of a, instead of a blessing. Instead of me being able to bless your life, I can't do that because you've tied my hands behind your back for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. So now he says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Now check this out. It's the only place in the Bible that says this. And try me in this. This is the one place where God is saying, I know how preciously you hold on to and value your money. I know how much of a big deal this is for you. So I'm going to give you an opportunity. You can try me in it. You can test me in it. Why don't you try me in this and see what I do? And he goes on to say, See, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open up the windows of heaven and pour out such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it and I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. You know, there's a lot of people getting really frustrated that the devourer is not being rebuked and yet you're tipping God. It's like, you know, I'm gonna make sure I've got the holiday. I'm gonna make sure I've got the car. I've got the thing, but, but actually I'm just gonna tip God with whatever is left. And honestly, if you're a follower of Jesus and that's the root question that you've got to answer, if you're a follower of Jesus, then you need to start honouring God financially with your money too. But I don't want you to just take my word for it. I want you to take the words of a couple of people in our church too. I think for us as a family, we believe it's the right thing to do. Um, even before we got married, we kind of individually were always tithing in any ways and kind of something that we'd always done before we got married. And when we got married, it was something that we wanted to continue doing and kind of carry on doing. I mean, for me personally, growing up, my parents kind of always modelled generosity and tithing in general for us. Even when we had just little pocket money, we would kind of give out of that pocket money into church. So as I've grown older, it's something that I've carried on doing. And even though there have been times where it felt like, oh, I could use the money for something else. One thing that we've kind of realized and learned is that regardless of how things might seem, we've always had more than enough for everything we need, if that makes sense. Even though on the flip side, you might feel like, oh, we're giving out this money or paying to this or whatever we've always had more than what we need mm. going forward so that's kind of and, and that's something that we want to carry on doing and hopefully when we have kids in the future something that we can kind of hopefully model for them and then they can hopefully carry on that kind of um, same culture of giving you know whenever we, we read the bible and we look at Jesus's life he he just he just was a generous person that's what one of his main teachings were was to always be generous to give above and beyond and you know in our church we 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 teach about 10 percent and we tithe 10 percent. but in the new testament they give above and beyond 10 percent. and i I feel like you can never outgive god in our experience we we've never been able to outgive god we've always we've always received more whenever we've tried to tithe and give into god's house it's always come back tenfold yeah, and I think also, um, like, I kind of see it as a as a kind of thank you to God yeah. in a way, like that that idea of like your first fruits. It's so minor, like it's so little, 
uh, of a thank you to give to God that actually, you know, the reason why we're able to work or we've been blessed with this is because of you, God. So here is a mere 10%, you know what I mean? And so I see it as a kind of our way of thanking God, of worshipping God and, and, you know, it's our first fruits and so we give that to him. It helps me have the right heart position as well, like making sure that he does come first in every area of our lives, including our finances. And yeah, and I, I just, like God has really blessed us when we've been generous. In our most, most stretched seasons and given that tithe, there's always about like, oh, you know, what else could we do with that? But actually there's nothing else we would do with it because the one who provides will always provide for us. Yeah. We've never ever lacked at all. Um, so we would never question giving the tithe. We were sewn into something financially mm. and then I get increasing my workplace or something or just different ways or or we just or we just get increasing in, in different areas. I think yeah. it's not necessarily about we've given God this money or we've tithed this amount of money, then we've been blessed X amount of money back. Mm -hmm. I don't think it works that way. No. So but I think what we've seen is that even when we've been given, God has always still been providing for us and taking care of our needs. I think so we just choose to keep doing that and honoring God that way. So I guess now the question really remains, what, what is it that I want you to do? This is what I want you to do. I want you to go back all the way to that very first scripture that we read from Haggai. And my question to you today is simply this. Can you give careful thought to your ways, Liverpool One Church, financially? Can you give careful thoughts to your ways? I get the... And I feel the pressure of standing up here talking about this, but I've just kind of decided in my own world now, I'm not going to hold back from anything that I think is scriptural that we need to be talking about in the life of church. But I want to assure you of this, like, like I've lived on every, every piece of the pendulum financially. I know what it's like to have money and I know what it's like to be absolutely broke and feel like we're going to lose our house. Like we've been there, we've lived there. But the one thing I could honestly say is that I've never once stopped honouring God with our family's finances. Never, not once. And I think that I'm saying that to encourage you that I have found that God's way works. God's way really works. God's way works. Church, can we stand to our feet? Can I pray for you all? And then we're going to worship together. Let's close our eyes and... Um, bow our heads. Heavenly Father, I feel like we've been looking at scriptures today that are challenging, challenging on many different levels and challenging to each and every one of us. Holy Spirit, would you speak to us so that we as family units, as married couples can assess and address our ways. Lord, would you lead us and guide us into doing what is right according to what you say and not in light of what the internet says or what the world says or what a self-help book says. But God, we are followers of the red text. We pursue with a deep-rooted sense of passion your purpose for our lives that is given through the Holy Scriptures. So would you help us today to follow your way financially? 
as we honor you with every area of our lives. And we ask this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We hope that you can take that message and apply it to your life. Also, don't forget to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. To get connected or stay more connected to the life of Liverpool One Church and learn how you can join us live, visit liverpoolonechurch.com. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope to see you again soon.